Welcome to the Mead Podcast. I'm Tom, the founder of Gosnells. And I'm Will, the head brewer here at Gosnells. This is our podcast where we are going to be chatting about all things mead and booze. Uh, each week we take a, either a mead enthusiast or a mead maker and we sit them down to a bunch of questions about why they love mead. Uh, so yeah, so thanks to everyone who's spared some time for that uh, from their busy schedules. I know everyone in the mead world is super busy at the moment. Yeah, and thanks everybody for their continued support over the last uh, God, couple of years now. So entering into the fourth season of the mead podcast. The fourth season. So thank you all for your support. And uh, Well, yeah, let's just get into it. Let's go. Welcome back. Uh, so uh, today I'm by myself. I've got a sign instead. Uh, Tom is on the Cordish coast, um, just enjoying the the wet weather and the beach, which is a typical English thing that they're happy to do. Um, but today we're we're joined by uh, the guys from Upper Reach Meadery. Um, I'll let them introduce themselves. I don't really have any more witty banter. I'm going to have a drink and uh, let's get into it. Uh, what's going on, guys? Hey, I'm guys. Adam. Uh, co-owner and head mazer. I guess that's the title that uh, that that we've we've settled on uh, for me. And uh, so I'm the mead maker uh, and uh, the idea and creator, I guess, of this uh, of this adventure. <laughs> nice. Uh, I am Brandolyn Armstrong. I am Adam's kind of right hand person. I am the director of uh, business operations. So I do the wizardry with the computers and the budgets. And sometimes he doesn't always love it, but with our heads uh, together, you know, we, we make a really good team. My background was uh, in the beer industry for the better part of a decade. I owned my own brewery and then sold that. And then uh, joined up with uh, Adam to really take upper reach metery to the next level and, here we are talking with cool people about cool things. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, so, guys, just give us a little bit of a background on on the meadery, how you guys got started. Um, you know, sort of what what's uh, what's the little story there? So, we started in 2015. Um, it was a, a passion project, weekend weekend warrior kind of project for me and my wife. Um, started there. Who is just- not me, by the way? Just say. <laughs> assumptions yes, get you nowhere it's not me <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, uh so we started it and it stayed pretty small for uh, a few years um just kind of honing in um on on that level uh that that large scale uh learning the industry uh, uh getting new accounts uh working with them and just kind of coming up with new ideas back in 2015 there weren't really too many um out there uh but there were enough for us to get the information we needed uh it grew uh slowly grew organically um in 2019 i took on my partner uh one of my best friends in the world uh mike and uh he is the he is the business side of things for sure uh i am the creative side uh i am the mead maker i am terrible at business uh, I realized that at about three, year three and figured that <laughs> if I didn't bring somebody on and, and with the possibilities of what we had with this, this company, I was going to sink that ship. There's, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I'm sure Brandon can contest to that too. And uh, so I brought Mike on and uh, we, he helped organize a lot of things. And uh, about a year after that, 20, was it 19 December of yeah December of 2019 when, yeah is when Brandolin came on and uh that's when the, the the team was was really formed uh as we all bring something totally totally different to the table uh but the three of us together 
in my opinion, are, are unstoppable, which is great. We, we each have awesome, yeah. our, our opinions and stuff. So it's, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. You need, you need that pyramid. Like we sort of have that, that back and forth between me and Tom as well, you know, like it's not that we both want to do weird and wonderful stuff, but he's just got a little bit more of that sort of, uh, you know, a little bit more of that business mindset, but he also <laughs> has the most outlandish ideas as well. Like he, he definitely comes up with the things that, I have to turn around and go like, no, Tom, that, that, that's not possible. Why are you the one bringing this up? Like I'm meant to be the one that's doing all the weird stuff, but uh, it's nice to have that dynamic as well. And it allows you to have a little bit of a pocket to create in, but guys, like let, let's just talk about mead for a little while. Like I know it's early for you guys, but at least you're, you're both having a mead as well. Let's talk about like meads that we liked and, 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 you know, so what sort of drove you guys to start making mead as well? So anyone who wants to go first. Yeah, I'll go quickly. It started, uh, I mean, I started making alcohol, beer, wine, mead when I was probably 20 years old. My grandfather taught me. Um, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer at that time and kind of wanted to pass on um, uh, some knowledge that he had. Uh, and as a 21-year-old, I was ready to, to learn. And uh, there was some concern, I'm sure, with my family. Uh, but I, I took to it and, uh, and really, really, really just took to the, to the, the knowledge, the information, like read every book I could get my hands on um, and loved it and did it for, for, you know, 15 years before we even started the, the, the meadery. Um, I was attracted to meat after doing beer, wine, working in the industry, working in the beer industry, working on all levels, distribution. Uh, I did all that before I opened up the winery uh, or the meadery and, um, I was attracted to mead because of the 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 freedom that it had. It it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't wine. It wasn't held in, in in that idea. It wasn't beer. It wasn't that idea either. I could make meads that were wine like. I could make meads that were beer like. Uh, there was just a lot of freedom that could happen there, and attracted me to it, and uh, took off from there, and and just. I love playing. He's so shy too because he <laughs> has he is a multi-award winning like mead maker. And I am kind of coming into it after being in beer specifically. Um, I only started drinking and appreciating mead um, that isn't your general, you know, Renaissance fair or Viking traditional mead, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not what we do. Um but, you know, we, I started drinking mead when he approached me to join up with this project. And, and honestly, the biggest reservation was the fact that it was mead. And, and a lot of my personal bias was I've only had sweet cloying meads. And I think as a professional, well-established professional in the beer industry, I was really doing myself a disservice. So until I started really drinking his meads and going, you know, this might not be my natural preference right now, but I am really jazzed and excited about this because these flavor profiles and what you're able to do both with the liquid and the business of how we run that type of liquid and especially the U.S., I was hooked. So I really just started drinking in 2019. I had had some in the past. So I'm learning alongside Adam and Adam has been, you know, a figurehead in the community and he has done a lot of you know, teaching of the other meteries, some of the ones that you've had on your, your podcast. So um, it's been a really interesting perspective for me because I haven't been in mead for 15 years. So it yeah, brings yeah. a different perspective to the table, but oh, it's been so fun. And some of my favorites that he shared that haven't been his, you know, we, 
I love the lost cause stuff that they're doing out in California. I've obviously had needs from all over the world. Um, haven't gotten my hand on Gosnell's yet. So, you know, I'll give you my address. We're around, we're in the States. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So I need to, I need to get my hands on that, but you know how it is when you're so involved in your own project, where do you like, and with us being in lockdown, the world on freeze, I wasn't really going anywhere, trying new stuff. So it was kind of a sad creative time, but now it's getting Well, this is it. And and this is why, you know, we love doing these sorts of things. We find, you know, every, every meat maker's got that story. Every, everyone in the meat industry has that, you know, I thought it was this and until I had this and then that's it. That just changed. And, and it's such an addictive process making meat. I like talking about, you know, the rules of making beer, the rules of making wine and stuff like that. Like it's so open that you can just turn around and go like, no, you can't tell me what I need to do in here. Like I'm going to experiment. I'm going to find it. You're either going to like it or you're not, but I can definitely find a style of mead that you're going to enjoy. And it's just a trial and error process. And, and that's, that's, it's, it's so cool to hear everybody have that little, that little story that goes with it and just proves the point that like, it's, it's such a diverse category, whether you go down the, the beer making mark or whether you, you know, do a little bit more wine strength or even dessert wine, or even if you're going down the weird side and, and doing a little bit more of that terroir of the honey and the basis of that as well, it's, it's just such a really fun and, and, and interesting sort of industry that we've stumbled into as well. You know, like it's, there's nothing, nobody, I don't think anybody in the meat industry woke up and, and goes, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a meat maker. Like it just sort <laughs> of, it came across and you were just like, holy, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to do. This is a fantastic thing. Like how have I never yeah. heard of it before? But guys, like talking about like we, you know, our stuff and your stuff, like you guys make a lot of hydromels as well. Can you talk to me about the decision you went down for the reason that you chose hydromels? Yeah, you want to take that? Do you, I mean, uh, I mean, for us, hydromels, um, you know, we really like experimenting with the different honeys, um, you know, and what better way than to focus on, you know, these different honeys and the traditional processes of them, um, you know, Thanks for putting me on the spot. I'm the newbie here. <laughs> Am I, I failing? I didn't want to answer all the questions. I can jump in. Uh, yeah, I mean, hydromels. No, I mean, we really love playing with the different varietals of honey. Um, I am learning, so there's no shame in that. And where I come into that is, you know, when I first tried Adam's stuff and started looking at what we could do from growth of the business, we looked at what was really selling, and these are really selling and with our knack for being able to source really interesting um, honeys, it just fueled that kind of fire. Yeah, nice. Uh, it was, it was uh, for me in the beginning, it was just, like I said, I worked, at, I worked for a, a very large distributor in Philadelphia who did some of the largest craft beers from the United States and all over. We worked with uh, uh, an importer. And so we had, you know, like 200, brands underneath us at this distributor but i realized early on as i started this meadery that draft was much easier to get on in an account than it would be to place yeah. bottles so when i started 100%. thinking about that as far as meads it, it it organically led me to low alcohol because especially starting this meadery up as a passion project we didn't have a whole lot of money coming into it so we needed to be able to turn our product around and fuel the machine if you will and I knew that low ABV would be the way to go because uh, that could be turned around in, in a few weeks rather than months and not, and not six to nine months. Uh, and I knew that if I kegged it, it would be much easier for me to get it on in an account than it would be to come with them with bottles. So it just kind of led me to this hydromel 
idea. I don't even think in 2015, there really was all that much out there. Some people were doing it. I know New Day in Indianapolis was doing it. Redstone was in our market with some of their like flip cap. Yeah, there wasn't like like, a name for it. Like, and and now it's more popular. So I just kind of went there on on a business standpoint. Like, I got to make this product. I got to bring it back in. I got to sell it. I I know accounts will could could put a handle on much easier than bringing in my bottles, and they're not afraid to buy a a keg because they can make their money back on a keg, even if Epic failed at their location, they could make it back. But it never did, and they loved it and started selling more and more. I was like, all right, this is kind of working. And uh, and when I joined up, my my experience in not only the beer landscape and distribution, but in the licensing um, landscape of distribution are Hydromel or our premium honey spritzers, which is really the brand category that we're trying to carve mm-hmm. out for this. Um, you know, that was a product that, yeah, <laughs> plug, plug. That was a product <laughs> that um, through our state, through our federal, through the legislative and licensing allowances, we could pretty much make in service and everywhere alcohol is sold because in the states and in, 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 in particular Pennsylvania, where we are based, um, not all laws are created equal. So you have different brokers for different alcohol. I'm not sure or familiar with how that is in the UK, but this is it's, a yeah, crossover threshold here, item. Yeah. We're, we're, so, we're lucky enough to, it's almost like the wild west out here for, for that. You know, we've got our categories to go in. Like the worst thing that we find is that we're in the, the highest tax bracket. So we're stuck in what's called made wine here, which is anything that they can't fit into beer, wine or cider. And they just lump us all together and go, well, you can just pay the maximum amount of tax and we'll just call you all the same. So do you have a mead guild that can help you uh, lobby for some uh, relief? Well, that, I can that, give you some that's, US. That's what based... we're working on. So <laughs> we, we, we have to uh, we have to get everybody involved and we have to create a definition of mead, uh, which yeah. I, I think is quite an easy process. But I've learned that I have uh, high aspirations. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it'll, it'll take some time and we'll get there. But, you know. We'll still manage. Well, if you ever want to be linked up with any of us, uh, you know, in in the guild stateside or whatever, for any resources that might be beneficial, uh, please let us know. Because I mean, it's all about helping out the community and education. You know, this is the point. So, and that's it. And and with these sort of new industries popping up, and and you know, if if you're loud enough and and situate yourself enough, then uh, you know, we'll end up making some some changes that'll help us all. But uh, at the moment, still in the UK, there's there's very few meteries, and and that's one of the reasons as well. You know, so, but away from the uh, the politics of it. So, like you know, hydromel being that sort of approachable sort of things. Like I see you guys use like sort of fruits and and citrus, like. Um, I see you guys sort of blend those two together more than I've seen in a lot of other um, sort of meteries as well. Usually it's, it's, it's one or the other or, you know, very rarely do you see sort of, um, you know, herbs and stuff as well in, in, in hydromel. So talk me a little bit through that sort of process of choosing your, your fruits and, and base. And before we do that, what, what are we drinking anyway? I didn't cover that at the start. <laughs> Without time, I'm lost. So Why don't you um, start? Why don't you tell us what you're drinking? Uh, so I just absolutely smashed one of our apricot sours. Uh, so yeah, we do like a little small batch program. Uh, so every month, uh, we have like a certain amount of uh, subscribers and we send out, uh, a new recipe every single month. And, uh, it, it, 
it started off quite fun. It still is really fun, but now it's like it's quite a driving force for for our experimentation. Like it's quite easy to let that fall to the side, but when you know you have to create something new every single month, it never really leaves your mind. So it's been quite a really nice process. So this is an apricot sour. So it was uh, barrel aged in uh, barrel fermented and barrel aged in bourbon barrels with uh, on top of apricots, and then I did some some apricot sort of puree as the uh, the back end sweetening. Uh, before packaging and it's just that sort of summer vibe and then the other one i've got which i'll get onto is our watermelon which is just watermelon and seven percent uh bourbon traditional together and it's just really that sounds nice lovely are you That's doing good. secondary inoculation or mixed culture mixed culture souring or so what actually, what in your process is your sour uh, so i don't i i we have a really tiny little space here so I've kind of had to not be able to use any bacteria in the Any brewery. wild craziness. I know. It's so, so frustrating. <laughs> so Philly Sour uh, is is just an amazing little product to work with on uh, mm-hmm. with honey. It, it's, it creates a beautiful little lactic base. It means you don't have to kettle sour. You don't have to mm-hmm. you know, stress too much about what you're running with. And it's just a nice little, uh, nice little yeast to use as well. It's a little... It's easily dominated um, by other things, so it's cool to sort of cannibalize it later on. And I'll, sometimes I've been working with some stuff with melolactic afterwards with some wine yeast as well. And it's it's fun to work with. It's really cool. Yeah, we actually, so I'm assuming you got that through your yeast broker, but uh, our good friends at U Sciences in Philadelphia helped develop that strain. So we were able to test, you know, some of that. And I've, I've actually brewed some beer with that. So a little bit different than mead. We have some banked yeah, for us to do a mead project yeah. because what we want to know is how you know the fermentation using that strain in a honey fermentable is so maybe we'll pick your brain at another uh yeah point 100%, about that. because so, i did all the reading for the beer side and then I, it it just didn't help me at all <laughs> yeah and and so oh, working with the lab yeah. you know they do all of our lab work you know for our 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 meads and, and whatnot so you know it's it's interesting to hear that you're using philly sour in the uk like i'm totally going to tell matt awesome (laughs) really happy with it what are you drinking adam i'm drinking raspberry lemon weekend water raspberry lemon which is just our uh it's basically our rosé um uh base and then we add um raspberry puree to it uh single strength and then we zest a bunch of lemons uh so we just add the zest of the lemons in there it's our loose very loose play on a sangria uh, uh yeah. i personally am not the biggest fan of traditional sangria i think it's good it's got its place but it's not something that i go running for um yeah, yeah. so uh, i wanted to make something that was in that 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 vein and uh the raspberry and lemon totally attracted me uh and it works it works awesome it's just six percent alcohol super easy drinking crushable and uh, uh that's that's what I'm looking for a lot of times, especially when it's 11 o'clock in the morning. At our, yeah, at our that's time, it too. Yeah, I got judgment I got here. No Do I smell problem. judgment? <laughs> no, I got no problem starting at 11. I've got a tasting to go to, to after the right this thing. as well, so I've got yeah. to I've got to make sure that I've still got uh, a head on my shoulders. This will be <laughs> leave it to me to be the lush. I swear. Um, the funny part about about what Adam's drinking is that was the original weekend water. So we released our line uh, after a lot of uh, you know research and, and work, and you know part of our goal is modern need for all, an inclusive brand, not only in our innovation innovative techniques, um, but you know in our all over aesthetic and and support networks. So 
we looked at this and we went, all right, like we launched the weekend water and the raspberry lemon was original. So we would do experimental batches. We ran through a couple experimental batches on that. We got such a great response to that profile. Uh, and then we ended up winning the Mazer. We got the Mazer Cup uh, gold for dry session, correct? For that one? And the, there might have been Mead Crafters. I think it was gold. I make the marketing material, so I'm going to stand behind that gold. Uh, But, uh, you know, and that really got me personally thinking about going back and revisiting those type of, you know, hydromel or or session or spritzer meads. And then we, back to your your point of we use different botanicals or herbs, Mm. you know, we started really diving in on people want something different. They, They are maybe tapping out a little bit of the seltzer craze and when people are looking for something that's like gluten-free and and nearly guilt-free and a little bit more robust they're looking at this segment and there are not a lot of people that fulfill that segment so adam's drinking kind of our our original idea that started with his wife aaron who again is an integral part of our team going "Eh, maybe we do something with this rosé base and make it taste like a berry sangria and then this whole brand has been born so yeah she gets credit for that too but we really, no, I really, I really like it like it, especially even reading it it intrigues me going like okay cool like i, I you know i always tell the guys to, to go bit of fruit and a, and a herb you know and that's that's as much as profile building as it is training as well you know we, when you when you sort of scale up as well you don't as we talked about before you don't have as much experimentation so being able to make sure that everything has two things in it allows you to see how everything works together as well you know like you've got to do trials you got to get these things going. Yeah. It, it, it just, and using two different, like you said, like, like citrus or botanicals or herbs or whatever it is. And, and I like to, um, it's just a, something that started, but I mean, it gets depth to the product. And that's what I really mm-hmm. like about it is, you know, session meads or, or low alcohol hydromels, they can be one dimensional. Um, and and there's nothing wrong with that but it's just not what i was looking for i wanted something that would intrigue you and i wanted it to be like oh all right this is beautiful this is raspberry oh there's the honey oh, and wow, still get the honey there's, that's the important yeah. part too and, 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 and then the have honey. the lemon come in at the end um that's where the the, the multiples came from is just that i just needed some more depth to what i was drinking uh i i like that flavor i like changes in it and the, and the products that we've got work together really well uh you know it's some of them are guava and hibiscus uh it's not oh, hibiscus normal, is, a, is an amazing amazing ingredient it's yeah. just so much fun like i can't it it's guava, part of our core guava, range yeah great guava is amazing too it's just not so, so much fun to play with because it's just i mean we, we so use pulpy. a pulpy oh yeah it's, it's uh, and we yeah. centrifuge it so like we rip that through a centrifuge and uh like it still it, comes out cloudy it's still it's beautiful but you know that's natural it's it's real you know like this we don't want to get over the watermelon as well there's just no way of getting that out so you have to lean into it roll <laughs> the can leave the chunks go for it like that's that, that's exactly it i mean yeah on the guava i think like in a in a 15 barrel batch we use 700 pounds of, of guava puree i mean it's crazy how much we put in there but it's that's how you get that flavor but there's just yeah, yeah. It, 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 the you know the first the first barrel that comes out of there is straight mud and, and <laughs> it's pretty mud it's pink it's pretty yeah, yeah the centrifuge yeah. is just the centrifuge spins as much as it can and you can slow it down to, as slow as it'll go and it still comes out cloudy there's just nothing time time will let it settle but 
Yeah. There's not, I've tried everything, every clarifying agent, everything on the market. And Asia's we've done the same. Okay. We find that, you know, sometimes, you know, we choose not to use a fruit or sometimes you just let it be as natural as possible. You know, like it's, you know, perceptions are changing a little bit and thank the craft beer industry for that a little bit as well. In some ways. Realize. In some ways. No, I'll give a little to... thanks. Yeah, yeah. But. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, when, at least when... it changes some perceptions, you know. Yeah. yeah. When it came out, Guava Hibiscus came out of the centrifuge and it was still cloudy. It was not what I had envisioned. And I was a little bummed. And I was like, man, how did this not come out? I don't understand this. The centrifuge just spin it. And as I took a moment to think about it, and Brandilyn came up and she's like, well, the, the craft beer market is loves haze. I'm like, well, that's a really good point. I'm like, no one's afraid of it's it. It's a natural anymore. product. Like, it's a natural it is. product. It's yeah. Eight years, ago, eight years ago, if you tried to put a, a, a hazy product anywhere on the market, <laughs> yeah, yeah. beer and or any, they've been like, hell no. And, and now with like, you know, natural wines having a big comeback natural wines are can be hazy as well no one's fearful of it and like you said yeah, it's a as long product. as your product tastes nice and, it, and it's interesting yeah. and it's you know that that's where the the artistry comes in not not in the clarification or in the yeah. uh, you know in, in that final two-step of filtration you know but if guys, it tastes they, they, well and it's fermented well and it's constructed well i i have no problem i'm not one of those people that condemns other people's innovation i think we strive on innovation like where would we be if we just stayed traditional i mean we still be in rain hooks but with beer so like no yeah that's it yeah so guys let, let, let's jump straight we've been talking about fruit a little bit let's let's get a little bit into the honey um where do you guys source your honey from just talk to me about your your use of honey all over i'm gonna talk for a second because i'm gonna tell you what i'm drinking yep. which oh, yeah which pertains yeah. to honey and sourcing so this yeah. is the hacienda this is our uh raspberry blossom honey traditional that we aged for around six months in New Mexican Sotol barrels. Are you familiar with what Sotol is? No. It is actually a spirit that is produced in the ways of agave or mezcal. However, instead of sourcing it through an agave plant, uh, it is a the plant is a member of the asparagus family. So it looks kind of like agave, but it shoots up this very long stalk. It's got an earthy kind of um, aromatic musky smell and, and, and just very oh. deep roasted, some kind of toasted notes to it, um, for the spirit anyway. So we got these barrels. Uh, the spirit is, is native to Mexico, particularly the Chihuahua you know, area. And so in order to be called Sotol, it has to be wild foraged as well. So it's not commercially farmed. So we got this, um, we got linked up with the spirit company in New Mexico, got these barrels. We aged our raspberry blossom traditional homestead, which is like one of our number one sellers. Um, this is one of our higher ABV um, still meads. Uh, and this is about 12%. So to give you the juxtaposition between what you guys are drinking and what apparently the noon lush is drinking, um, you know, that's what we have. But the honey itself comes from Gibbons Honey Farm in Nebraska. Uh, and we work to source through sustainable, eco-friendly companies for our honey. Because as you know, not all honey is created equal. And this is something that I have learned a lot from Adam. So I'm going to turn it over to Adam because I could wax poetic about how beautiful these honeys are. But I think you want to hear it from him. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, we use we use a bunch of different sources for honey and I I, I, I love it. It's 
Well, no, yeah, Wayne uh, Gibbons Honey Farm is is one of ours that we use for our traditionals. So any of our traditionals, um, we we love it. Uh, his stuff is fantastic. I tried a bunch of honeys from a bunch of different people, uh, from apiaries, and uh, his raspberry blossom just kind of just just blew my doors off. And I was like, I I need this. And uh, I had used raspberry blossom honey from New Jersey previously on Homestead. And it was really nice, but this honey just took it to a new level. And uh, I'm, I'm sold on, on that honey going forward uh, for our traditional. Uh, we use bee seasonal uh, for our others. So beautiful organic wildflower honey as well on all of our weekend water stuff. Um, great company, uh, awesome people. The honey is just, just fantastic. Um, we also got an orange blossom from them recently. That was one of the best orange blossoms I've ever had. And it was like raw, like there were bee parts in, in, in this. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, wow. All right. What are we getting into? And People I don't like hearing it, but that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's like, that gets me excited. I'm like, well, hey, right. yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, it was, it was crystallized. I had it on heat belts. We, we bought a drum of it uh, and I had it on heat belts for like four days and I couldn't uncrystallize it. I mean, yeah, this is it, yeah. but it was some of the best tasting orange blossom I've ever had. Uh, that was amazing. And then we use a lot of local too. So we try to use as much local as we can. The issue with local is that we need a good amount. I mean, I need 200 pounds to do a very small experimental batch. Most local yep. apiarists don't have that. And if they do, they can sell that for, you know, $12 a pound at farmer's markets. And I'm not going to be able to reach that price to keep my numbers where I need them to be in bottles. So that's, it's a, it's a hard, hard go there, but some of them are willing to work with us, uh, which is great. Yep. Uh, this year apparently here has been a, has been a, 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 a great year. Everyone's almost doubled what they had gotten the previous year. Uh, so, so we had the opposite this year. Oh, wow. Tell us more about that. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And uh, it's, so everyone's yeah. calling me with honey and I'm um, just, you know, trying it and, and, and buying it, I guess is the best way to put it. But I mean, we got honey from all over the place and I'm, I'm always open to new stuff. We get, uh, uh, what's the other bee, uh, honey company that we got the Katame from? So I was going to mention like one of my favorite, uh, honeys, it, it might have displaced meadow foam by just a slight bit, but is this, I still have not tried it meadow foam. So anybody that wants to send me some meadow foam, I need to try because it's what every mead maker talks about. And like, oh yeah, it's, oh it's my just gosh, great. it's like the perfect toasted campfire marshmallow. It's like camping so now. Um, yeah, so well, I think we could probably arrange that. Um, yeah, to sorry, sorry to interrupt, but uh, I hear it so no, often. I'm just it like, is, I have to throw it out into the. It's wonderful, but it's it. hard to get because you know, as I've learned, the mm. meadow foam flower doesn't bloom every year, so you don't get a harvest every year, and so oh, it. Cool. It's a West Coast indigenous plant that, you know, they have a lot of specific, you know, apiaries that, that produce that. But if they don't bloom, you don't get the honey. So it obviously does a number to supply. And when demand is, you know, good, you know how that works, economics. But um, we, we used World Honey Exchange to get this Gatame honey from the Gira Forest in Ethiopia. Uh, the honey partner that actually runs the honey operation is a company called Maritza. And I may have pronounced that wrong, but I recently got linked up with her. Um, she's a young woman that wanted to really revitalize some of the anti antiquated ways in which 
honey was being farmed and people were being treated in Ethiopia. So this particular honey, aside from it being beautiful um, and delicious and really giving this, and I'll let Adam talk to like the tasting notes, but really giving this kind of full-bodied, roasty, toasted, beautiful flavoring to our traditional mead. It's being done in a sustainable way to rebuild, you know, some working infrastructures for these Ethiopian uh, honey farmers. So I just found that it was like a really cool company. And while we wanted that honey, because it has been interested, it's, it's interest us in a while for a while, but like what more goes into it. And so that's how we made that decision. So it, it's yeah. really good. Adam, I don't know if you want to give your exact yeah, I'll give like a, a, a 30 second version of it. But yeah, it, it's it's super, super awesome. It, it, it tastes like, tastes to me like roses, like rose water, roses, rose hips. And with like a little bit of like tartness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get like a little toastiness. It's very it's fragrant. Super fragrant. Yeah. The first time I tried it, I just like stood there and was just like, I I don't even know how to process it. <laughs> yeah. I love so when that different. honey knocks you back, you know, and you're just like, it did. sorry, it I, need, I need to just piece that together. Yeah, you, you can that. order sample jars from Maritza, M-A-R-Y-I-Z-A dot com, I believe, or Google it. Uh, but you can actually get a smaller, and there yeah, are a right. couple. There's a one called Basana Honey, and I haven't tried that yet, but it's on my radar. I'm now, yeah. I'm so into the honeys because it reminds me of malt roast for beer like it's no different yeah, yeah. you know yeah well this is and yeah, for me it reminds me of grapes yeah yeah like and varietals just, of grapes it's, it's just it the process of choosing through just allows you to have such a connection to the primary produce that it's it, it, it's what makes mead making so so fun and so personalized because that 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 tasting process these things are you know, one-offs, you never, even from the same hives, you're not going to get the same thing ever again. So these one-offs, you just feel so special tasting through them and, and, and seeing, you know, it dictates what you want to make with it as well. It's not you grabbing that and going, I don't care about the honey. The honey is hugely important. It dictates what it's going to be in the, in that sort of final stage. Yeah. The but, honey is the point. Ethiopia as well, having that sort of beautiful history with Tej and these sort of, you know, sort of uh, keeping that sort of mead culture in Africa alive is, is amazing. And I've been waiting to, to, uh, to find some sources in, um, in Ethiopia to be able to create some, some, some interesting meads as well. I just did some stuff uh, for a, for a, a cocktail bar using Kosaret um, or Kosaret, which is like a, an Ethiopian herb as well. That uh, cool. is is really really cool. So I'm sort of trying to piece together now. I've got that with so I've got some gesho hidden, you know, in a in a box underneath the underneath my desk. And you now I'm trying to piece together my my Ethiopian mead without having the honey yet. But uh, well, guys, like, you can get yeah. that through. So we can definitely you know send 100%. you some vendors 100%. because I, I'm, I'm always looking for. I've got some Zambian honey coming in as well at the moment. Like just sort of branching out and, and having a little bit more time in the last couple of years to make these sort of connections and, and say to people, you know, like, okay, let's, let's get these sort of trade routes established so that we can start moving There's some things around. So and- many out there. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, all the ones they had there were, were beautiful. I mean, they had a shade grown coffee, uh, uh, honey. That was, it was awesome. It was so intense. I mean, almost, almost too intense or i was like i gotta so think how do you find this. your I've, I've had a couple of coffee blossom honeys and they've been a little bit underwhelming like 
Um, I, I'm still waiting for the right one to come in. Have you made anything with, with a good coffee blossom honey? I haven't. We did. I did a test batch uh, with this honey and I liked what came out, um, but I never pulled the trigger on a bigger yeah, batch. Yeah. You know, when I do test batch. Yeah, and I'm sort of finding like finding the same with it. I know that there's a profile there, there's a profile in there that I'm looking for and I'm just waiting for the right honey to come past and go like, yeah, yeah okay, the coffee I'm honey ready. reminds me a lot of like avocado where avocado is like yeah, big, yeah. thick and creamy and it just needs it needs the right pairing and the right pairing is is there i just haven't it hasn't been formulated in my head for this yeah, one yeah. yet uh, uh someday i'll just wanna, yep. like one of my favorite honeys that we got samples of that we haven't been able to use yet just because i mean to get it from hawaii is an endeavor in itself and then in a pandemic with freight and all that is just insane but eventually i hope to use it but we got a, a couple honeys from hawaii we got a macadamia nut blossom honey we oh. got a uh, I, I might be pronouncing it wrong but it's like a li, liuau uh yeah. blossom honey so this i guess uh is like their kind of wild flowery honey but oh my gosh it was amazing um and then we got didn't we get coffee blossom from them too and i feel like that yeah. one might have been my one of that was a little bit more underwhelming so i agree yeah. i haven't met a coffee blossom one that i fully loved yet that i'd be willing to let me so guys, um, <laughs> I try to keep these to, to 40 minutes. I realized that we've just been chatting about honey oh, for so I'm long. So, so there's, a, there's like two or three things that, that I really want to get from you guys. And one of those is um, a little bit about your barrel program as well. Like I, I've been trying to get my hands on some rye barrels and I would like to really see how that process goes for you guys and what you found with that. Also, while capturing uh, yeast at the moment, I just went and picked some blackberries and I'm just picking some, uh, doing some wild capture myself. So I really want to hear you guys did some wild capture with some honey. And I want to sort of know about the, uh, how you found the mixed fermentation process of that as well. So I know that honey has a lot of uh, lab and flab in there as well. How'd you find that sort of process? So the wild, I'll start with the wild, then we can move into the to the barrel. But the wild was just really simple. Uh, I've been wanting to do a wild fermented mead for a while. It didn't make it yet off of the off of the bench trials or off of the the, the lab desk yet. But I took um, three different honeys from our local area that were I knew that were 100% raw. Uh, had not even been heated or touched or anything and pretty much just brought it down, uh, diluted it down to, you know, hydromel strength mm -hmm. um, and let the natural yeast in the honey start fermentation. Um, that's really what we did there. And I wanted to see what, what would come out of this, what, what would happen. Um, Cause I would love to be able to take a honey knowing that it's from our area, capture the wild yeast um, in the honey, do a, do a small fermentation in a, you know, in a 2000 milliliter, uh, uh, beaker and just get it started and then build from there. Um, mm -hmm. And what came out of it was actually really cool. Uh, one of them was real acetony and, and that. <laughs> uh, yeah, another one was pretty ropey. Yeah, another one was pretty ropey. It didn't look it didn't look all that enjoyable. But once it dropped out, it was actually really nice. Uh, and the third one was a beautiful, clean um, uh, mead that I ended up or fermentation that I ended up taking and putting into just another bottle and letting it sit, seeing how it would develop. It was bone dry, but I wanted to see what that yeast and what else was there. We know that some wild yeast can take a while to mm -hmm. do what they need to do and showcase. Uh, but that one was, was definitely more promising. Um, you know, I, it was a very simple try. I didn't do any fermentation temperature control 
Uh, I know that's important. I know in wild yeast capturing pH is important as well, keeping your mm-hmm. pH down on a lower end. So even if you have to buffer it before fermentation starts to help keep out some of those unwanted yeast that will make it mm-hmm. acetony or ropey, you can do that as well. So I didn't do any of that yet. Uh, that's to be, to be determined or to be done. Um, but it was just really kind of playing with it because I, I have a dream of making like a completely, absolutely natural traditional mead that is mm-hmm. say fill pennsylvania based honey pennsylvania naturally sourced yeast fermentation everything in it is, is that so it's like this beautiful true just raw terroir representation of, of of what we have in our area and uh i'm just kind of slowly working my way there and and it's fun it's real fun and I want to do all of the projects because I love mixed culture fermentations. I love wild, spontaneous, like we're going to get it's there. It's going to be good. Us, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're definitely going to get there. It's so just, how are you it, finding the just... acid profile with it as well? Because I, I know whenever I've sort of done it, um, I, I haven't got any that, that hasn't had a quite a profound sort of lactic base acid profile. We, we had none. If anything, mine really? were were very uh uh based i mean i would have had to buffer it up once done a lot um uh i think i took a ph even on on my final one the one that i enjoyed and the ph was like three eight like it so it was it was not in that direction yeah, at all. yeah. um and oh, that's really dry. interesting yeah yeah because like, like i said every, everyone i've tried yeah, yeah just just your luck you know like and that's that's the oh, kind yeah. of the fun right uh, and that is that listen i i this was just again it was just uh on our lab being done i could take the same batch of honey and try it again and it could be a nightmare uh yeah that that, that is that is the fun of it uh, yeah. once you you got to do four or five of them and pick which one is the best and go with it and then and then so, and i found with know, the with the acetone problem as well it's it's usually after it's uh, exposed to some oxygen so with all my trials I've done on on that sort of wild wild capture is as soon as I sort of take some out and I start playing with it, then the next time I revisit it, I'm like, oh, it's acetone. And I sort of researching that. And a lot of those sort of, you know, bacteria in an anaerobic environment aren't active. But as soon as you mix in just a little bit of ye- a little bit of oxygen towards the end, that that sort of wild yeast will just kick up some acetone or, you know, it'll set the, uh, you know, set the, um, uh, acetobacter off as well and produce just that little mm-hmm. bit of acetic acid as well which you know i quite like personally but it's not everybody's cup of tea yeah, but guys yeah. the, the the other one i, I just want to cover was just uh your use of rye barrels um some of your your profiles sound amazing we use a lot of barrels and and, and they are i mean not to be biased but they're we good they're very very good barrels are definitely my passion project uh i love yeah. barrels i always adam have. brokered wood for a, a bunch of time so he n- not only yes. likes using the barrels he understands the barrel construction like oh, everything to, about yes. the barrel like yeah, it's i'm learning yeah it's I a lifestyle choice <laughs> yeah, I, did, I did barrel broking for about two and a half years it was awesome i sold to every some of the largest breweries and wineries in the united states to some of the smallest uh, little guys that were looking to pick up two barrels, you know, all the way up to like a lesion and, uh, you know, so some of the biggest ones out there. Um, so I, I was, I was fortunate enough to learn a lot about barrels. Even before that, I was, I was intrigued by barrels and loved them, but now to have them in our space and be able to use barrels like Sotil or 
we just got a Grand Marnier barrel recently. The uh, gin orange uh, bitters barrels. Yeah, oh, bitters barrels oh, uh, yeah. on top of rye and bourbon. And I also love using a lot of like wine barrels. So red wine, uh, neutral barrels. Um, there's just so much out there and it's, it's so much fun. I mean, just what can happen in a barrel uh, is beautiful. It takes a lot of extra work. You've got to be on top of it. You've got to know what you're doing. Um, but uh, the, the micro oxidation that happens in a barrel can't be replicated um, in, in, in anything. It can't be replicated in, in, a, in a tank. It can't be replicated in, in, a, in a plastic flex tank. The, the wine world is very trying different, for yeah. years. Yeah, the wine yeah. world has been trying for years to make these micro oxidation systems that can slowly oxidate, uh, you know, a, a thousand gallon stainless steel tank to replicate a barrel. It has never taken off because the 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 wine the winemakers are like no nope. or the vintners are like this just doesn't it's not the same so there's some magic that happens in barrels for sure that we all know a, about yeah but we don't know we don't know how or what's happening but it's just pretty <laughs> there's a really cool story of a company uh from from norway that uh called Linny, which used to uh service the um their their, their army all around the world by moving this what was kind of like a a, a gin through these barrels and used to drop it off at all their sort of places around the world and and bring it back home and it's a very traditional sort of thing and and what they end up finding was that they couldn't recreate the the profile just barrel aging not only just barrel aging at home but like they couldn't recreate it without sending those barrels back on the ship around the world just just in that sort of salty rich oxygen and that sort of turbulence on the ship like such micro sort of changes in the process completely change how, how the whole thing works so they still to this day send barrels around on ships just to be able to get that profile back into it to be able to bring it back home and and have that same sort of drink again which it's just such a like it's just magic that you can't recreate no matter how much you try yeah it's a i mean a barrel is is a living thing you have your meat inside which is a living thing and the barrel itself i believe is living it breathes i mean you know thinking about what you just said you're going to have different climates as it goes around and obviously when you're in a colder climate uh the 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 pores of your wood are going to tighten up and and it's going to squeeze out some of that of that product and if you're aging in a bourbon barrel or rye barrel that rye will come into your product at that point when it warms up um it opens up that barrel and your mead would then or wine or whatever would be going into the wood of that barrel as it opens up then when it gets cool again it's going to push that product back out so climate change temperature change seasons all of that have a huge effect on these barrels you know if you try to put a a, a mead for sake uh, for instance into a, a a barrel in the middle of winter and you want to pull it out two two months later and it's all cold you're not going to have that breathing aspect in that barrel and it's you're not going to get as much character as you'd like but that letting it go through a season or two is going to change it for sure and uh that's fun this is just like like whiskey and, and doing it in scotland or, or japan where you've sort of got those yeah. those quite still underground same sort of you know humidity is dead straight and all that sort of just to be able to keep that consistency and and keep that nice slow turnover but i always uh go back to i had a mead from from texas i think and barrel age and just having that huge humidity and just like pulling pulling from the um from the wood and it, it was so intense but it was just so delicious as well like there, there's there's a little bit of variety that goes to it but guys um I just want to finish it up with like, what do you guys sort of like, 
um, what's, what's your future look like and what are you guys excited about for the industry and what's coming up for you guys next as, as somebody's calling me on the, on the work phone, but uh, yeah, give it to long, me. Long story short. Um, we, you know, really are working on, on awareness. So thank you for having us on uh, the podcast. Like, obviously this has been really exciting and we're going over time and uh, you know, hopefully we'll link back up, not in a recorded state. Uh, but, you know, we are we direct ship uh, in the states uh, direct to consumer to 40 states. Uh, we're working on, you know, growing that footprint. Um, we also, you know, just launched uh, the weekend water line a couple months ago. So really, that's our our main push. And of course, getting our full mead bar um, uh, open, which, uh, you know, the pandemic unfortunately pushed those project timelines, but we've still keep kept trucking on so we should see that hopefully in 2022 nice cheers um but you can find us if you want to learn more um you know at upperreachmead.com uh we are of course on the socials at upperreachmead on instagram facebook i am working on tiktok so you're not going to find us on any of that yet but um but our website has some knowledge uh we have our our offerings and uh we don't ship to the uk yet but if anybody watching this wants to uh get a hold of a business director and work something out hit us up love it. Uh, adam has his own account if you want to pay attention to like the making he does a lot more of the behind the scenes making because you know obviously we use social media for different things so he's at mead maker adam i'm at brandolin and uh, really, if anybody has any questions about our content or anything we talked about, you just hit us up because we will we will reply. And it's good to meet new mead supporters. Yeah. Awesome. Nice guys. Thank you so much for your enough? time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Like, thank you so much for your time, guys. And uh, yeah, cheers. Thank you. Cool. Cheers. Chin cheers. chin. Thanks for listening, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed that. So hit the subscribe and like button and follow us on all our social media and we'll see you again next week. If you've got any questions or thoughts or just want to chat about mead and honey, then drop us an email to podcast at gosnels.co.uk. Or better still, jump on our Instagram. Ask us uh, any questions that you have and watch us scramble to try to find the answer and uh, look like we know what we've talked about. Or if you want to see what I look like, you can head on to the website at www.gosnels.co.uk. 